Well, good morning. Welcome to you. Hope you've had a wonderful weekend. My name is Neil. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm grateful to be able to share with you out of God's Word today. And it's been, uh, we're into a new journey in terms of talking about community. Uh, it's been great as a church to have gone through the book of First John and learning how to love each other well, and now we're moving forward. And what does it look like for us to live in community? And so we're going to be in this series for a handful more weeks. Um, but it's exciting to think about looking at the early church and how they lived their life, and they're responding to what they'd seen in their encounter with Jesus, that they were people that had been with Jesus. And so now what we see today is that they are beginning to learn what it looks like to live together and to honor him in the ways that God has called them to. And so last week, Pastor Paul unpacked for us the apostles' teaching and what that looks like for us as believers here and what we truly believe. And if you haven't had a chance to grab that message, uh, if you weren't able to hear it, I would encourage you to get it off our website and listen to what it is that he shared with us. It's an amazing thing for us to know and be encouraged with what we believe as a church. It's so, so helpful. So as we move forward together today, excuse me, one second with my mic, I'm a little... As we move forward today, we're going to be talking about fellowship and breaking bread. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them and we'll turn to Acts chapter 2 and we'll be in verses 42 through 47, particularly in the second part of verse 42, talking about fellowship and breaking bread. So Acts chapter 2, and if you don't have a Bible with you, you can grab the hardback black one in the seat back in front of you there. We'll be on page 911. We'd love for you to track along with this there. So let's read this little section in its entirety, and it's really a meaningful thing for us as a community of believers to get a sense of what God was doing in them at that time. And so we see here in verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon everyone, every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so I think for some of us, if we grew up around church, it's easy to look at this passage. And when we talk about fellowship and breaking bread, they seem kind of like the less spiritual things and maybe more the utilitarian things or the things that we would assume that happen in our lives. But I'm convinced that God wants to use those things, the everyday things of life, to shape us in who we are. And so when you think about fellowship, I don't know what comes to mind for you. Maybe you are a people person and you really enjoy being in the presence of other people. When you, when you get to go be at an event or a party, you gain energy as you go along. My wife is that way. She is just, she could go all night when she gets around people. She just loves and is fueled by that. Maybe some others of us in the room are thinking about two things when we enter in a room. Perhaps we're looking for a place to sit down in the corner and then you're memorizing again where the exits are. If that's you in a social gathering it makes you a little bit you're ready for for to sit and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation perhaps so what comes to mind for when you think about fellowship the other piece of it is breaking of bread and when it comes to meals there are people that just geek out over how food is prepared what it looks like when it's plated they enjoy every little detail of food that we call them foodies in our culture maybe that's you 
Uh, if you're like my friend Drew, that uh, food is just a necessary evil in his life, he could live off of Totino's pizza rolls and cereal, I think, for the rest of his life and be happy. You know, we're all different types of people, but one thing is certain, and it's important for us to grip into this as we look at this passage, is that God gave both of those things in our lives as needs because they create a rhythm in us. We need fellowship with each other. Oftentimes, maybe we don't think that we do, but then when challenging times come in our lives, we come to an understanding that that is true. We need each other. The other thing that we're very aware of is that we need food. We need food to be sustained, and that's what God means for us to have. And so my hope for you today, and this has been my prayer all week, is that God would give you an understanding that you have significantly more to offer than you thought when you came in. And I believe that God wants to do that in you, and I'm confident that, confident that he will. And when we think about community, community and being in that brings that about. But you have way more to offer than you thought when you came in. My hope is that God would show that to you and that you would come away with a sense and a feeling of being empowered to do that. That God isn't looking for a better version of you before he's going to start to use you, before he's going to give you purpose, but that right where you are as you walk out today, God wants to use you. And so I just want to encourage you with that as we go along today. So what we see in this passage and what kind of the big idea of our time together today is that we need to celebrate Jesus through life together, celebrating Jesus through life together. And I just love what we just got to see with Pastor Paul and Rhonda as they were sharing and she was sharing about what's taking place is, uh, our mission statement, making Jesus known through community impact. And there are a few better ways to make Jesus known than to celebrate him. And that the overflow of our lives Monday through Saturday would be just as much an overflow and a celebration as our gatherings on Sunday. And that God has meant for us to live in community together and that we celebrate him. And it's in those celebrations that more and more people understand and see his glory. So I'm going to share three things with you as we go through this passage. And the first is that we need to recover our roots. I believe that we need to recover our roots. And when we look at that, we're talking about two things. We're looking at the early church and how they live. And so we're following in the footsteps of believers that came before us. And it's powerful for me to think of gatherings of people back in the 1800s that came to Minnetonka and that were faithful in opening the scriptures and that the church that we're in today came from us building on other people. And so we're recovering our roots to see what the life of the early church looked like. And then we're going back further even to see that the early church was responding to what Jesus had lived out and demonstrated for them. And so in recovering our roots, I just want us to look at John 1.14. We'll see it on the screen here. And it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus said, Come follow me. And the Apostle Paul, later we know, he said, Follow me as I follow Christ. And so there's an emulation that needs to take place, that we need to follow what God has done in, in Christ and that we can learn from him. And I would submit to you that Jesus' disciples learned to follow his humanness in the way he lived his life before they were ever following his teachings. Because he came to show us. I love the message translation of this same verse in John 1. It says, The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. So we're made to experience God's glory and we're watching his life. We're learning from Jesus' life and we're learning from the early church as well because they were building on what Christ has done. 
And I don't know about guys in the room, but I am terrible at following instructions. If you put written instructions in front of me, my brain just kind of starts to melt a little bit. But what I've discovered over the years is as kind people would post videos on YouTube of how to repair things around the house, something that I couldn't have read instructions and done, now I've seen somebody demonstrate for me, and now I can repair those things if there's a two-minute video. I can see how it was done, somebody else demonstrated it, and I can follow that. And what an amazing gift Christ's life is to us. Yes, he came to purchase for us our salvation through his work on the cross, but he also came to live a life that demonstrated how we're to live. And the early church was responding to that. The Lord Jesus in his humanness is teaching us things that we often overlook, that it's in his humanness. And we see with his followers that there is very much a with-me sort of mindset, that he invited them. He said, come follow me. Let's spend time together. We're going to have close association together. And that truly is the foundation that the early church was building off of. In this passage in Acts, we see that they're applying what they'd seen done. And they're seeking to lay a foundation and follow the human rhythm of life that Jesus patterned for them. So they needed each other. And you and I need each other, right? That it's within being together, being committed to a life together that we find maturity and that we grow together in Christ. Individualism in America is truly the American way. As far as I can build my own thing, I'm going to create my own path, and I'm going to go my own way. And we don't want people to interfere with the things like this is my schedule, this is my time. And when I build out my life and I think about my priorities and my future, most of the time I'm thinking through one lens and that's me. And I'm encouraged to think that we can accomplish more together than we can just as individuals. And personal achievements should not trump what it looks like for us to come together in unity. And this plays itself out in the Christian life as well because I think so many of us have felt like we're alone in establishing maturity with Christ. And so we go to Bible study after Bible study to try to pour in more head knowledge and that we seek transformation simply on our own and through the next resource that we're going to read or the next study we're going to be a part of. And God means for that to look different, that we can have relationship with each other that goes far beyond head knowledge. And I just believe that our pathway to the fullness of life in Christ is through obeying what he says and what he did as well. Walking as Jesus walked. Come follow me. Follow me as I follow Christ. That there's a lifestyle for us to chase after and we do that together. Maybe many of you have heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's a famous pastor and author and seminary professor, and he's most known for both his books as well as for being imprisoned and killed in resistance to Hitler in World War II. And he knew all about life together, and that was a passion of his, and he believed in knowing weighty theological things, but he believed that they translated into everyday life. And he had multiple opportunities. This just struck me as I was reading his biography. He had multiple opportunities to go to the U.S. and be freed from all the turmoil of his country, and even a prestigious opportunity to be a professor in a university. And he said, no, I believe the Lord's called me to life together and to this. And he truly gave a great gift to hundreds and thousands of people there in Germany in a really difficult time because he anchored his life in with them. And in his biography portion at the, uh, in his book, Life Together, it says this about him. It says, for Bonhoeffer, Christianity could never be merely intellectual theory, divorce, doctrine divorced from life or mystical emotion, but it always must be responsible, obedient action. 
The discipleship of Christ in every situation of concrete, everyday life, both personal and public. And so it's life together that mattered. And he knew that the real story was how he lived that out in community, that that was the real story of his life in Christ. And I love what Pastor Paul said last week in talking about doctrine and talking about what we obey in the scriptures. He said, understanding the Bible is not the same thing as obeying the Bible. And so it's not just about head knowledge, but God means for it to be affecting every part of our life. As we explore this passage, I'm struck to think in the verses that we just read that it's just it's a summary. It just gives us a picture or a glimpse. It's a brilliant summary of the early churches. They sought to build out that foundation. And we know that this life of fellowship is in community and it's defined by close association. And one of the words for fellowship in the Greek is is koinonia, and that's the word that's used of fellowship here. And it speaks to closeness, to active participation, so not just passively coming into something, but really actively participating, and to mutual love. And more fully, it's a close relationship. It's being together. It's having things in common. And so even the word community, as we're exploring that in this series, is uh, just two words put together, that they had things in common and that they were in unity and that God had given them a mission to be a community of people. They're closely associated and they have things in common. And I'm convicted when I think about my interactions with people either in my neighborhood or here at church or wherever that is that I'm used to kind of saying, hey, how are you? And then, oh, see you later. And I want to make sure that in every part of my life I'm going deeper in relationships with people. Certainly that doesn't mean that we can relate on the same level with everybody. But God means for us to have a deeper experience than just hi, hello, and see you later in the Christian life. We know that this was spirit-motivated and that it wasn't coerced or forced, but God had sent his Holy Spirit and that the people were drawn to being with one another. That it was voluntary relationship motivated in love. And so when we talk about recovering our roots, we really are committing ourselves to more intentionally orienting our lives towards other people. So I have a couple questions for you this morning. The first would be, do you have people in your life? Like, do you really have people in your life? People that know you, that understand your specific challenges, your struggles, that they care for you. And that they are walking with you. And have you, in turn, committed yourself to doing that in the lives of other people? Something to consider. Do you have people in your life? So we're recovering our roots. The second of three things that I wanted to show with you in this passage today is that we need a reboot on our gatherings as well. And as the early church was following what they had seen done and what they'd been shown, they began a rhythm of life that they carried out. And it was practical and it was new in some ways, but they were also taking what they had known previously and adapting it into what they had seen Christ demonstrate for them. And so there's three things about their gatherings. When we say, hey, let's reboot our gatherings, what does that mean? If we're going to follow what the scriptures say, we want to follow closely to those. And the first thing is that we see that the gatherings were regular. So they were used, used to going to the temple and spending that time being committed. And now they are committed to the apostles' teaching and to the regular gatherings and to prayer with one another. The next thing that we see and we're particularly anchored to today is that it happened over meals. And in this verse, um, there are four things that we see. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayers. And so there's a rhythm 
that's inseparable in the way that they were living that out. And so with, with meals and considerations of meals in this passage, commentators would agree that two meals are being described. The first is that they regularly remembered the Lord Jesus and took uh, the Lord's Supper together, and they celebrated and remembered his life. But additionally, and I think importantly, is that they also regularly shared common meals together. So they were fellowshipping well with one another. The third thing we see is that they were inclusive. And there are many reasons why we understand their gatherings were inclusive, uh, but not the least of which is that they were celebrating Pentecost in their city, and this small gathering of people started to grow exponentially when Peter preached, and thousands of people came to Christ. And we know that they began to assimilate and gather together more and more. And it's just an amazing thing to think about just how they were figuring it out. You know, they were following what they had seen the Lord do, and the Holy Spirit was guiding them. And they were just truly seeking wisdom and guidance as they went along. But they were coming together, and those gatherings were regular. They were over meals, and they were inclusive. Years ago, my wife, Deborah, and I um, started a community group in our house. And we had been used to meeting in small groups at our church, and so this was kind of a first big step away from the mothership. And we enjoyed but we're also nervous about, okay, what's it going to look like as we host these gatherings, as we lead spiritual conversations, as we have meals together? And what was at first nerve-wracking really became clear to us that God was going to establish some deep, deep friendships. And we have enjoyed a lot of our lifelong friendships have come from 10, 15 years ago in these groups, and we're still close with those people to this day as we entered in to this pathway and lifestyle. And so we were a group mainly comprised of young families. So there was lots of babies born and lots of meals being shared with family members there. It was a time when a good friend of ours in our community group had a horrific accident and just barely survived. And it was us going to the hospital and even having our community group meet at the hospital week after week, praying for him, caring for his wife and his family. It was diving through deep challenges and seasons of life together and walking with people and being able to be face-to-face and say, hey, I know you're going through a challenging time, but it's okay right now to not be okay because God has put us together. But it's not okay to stay there because in community and as we encounter Jesus, he's going to restore us over time. And it was things like celebrating regular meals together where we could just celebrate the everyday good things of life. Chick-fil-A, as often as possible, we would do that. There was a single mom whose husband had just left her with a brand new baby for another woman. And over a couple of years' time, we were able to just really bless her and love on her in community. And oftentimes, I just remember interactions with different people saying, isn't it amazing that we get to have the friendships and the relationship that we have here? Life together is really important. I love this quote from Jerry Bridges. Um, He says in his book, True Community, and Jerry uh, wrote multiple books. You may have seen Pursuit of Holiness and Disciplines of Grace. But he speaks to this passage here. He says, those first Christians of Acts 2 were not devoting themselves to social activities, but to a relationship. A relationship that consisted of sharing together the very life of God through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we have the opportunity to experience, the very life of God. It's not primarily an activity. It is a relationship. So 
So earlier I asked you uh, a question in terms of who is closest to you, and I just would take that a step further, that as you survey your life and you think about those that you're in relationship with, would you characterize those relationships as regularly investing in each other and as consistent? Would you say that you've oriented your life beyond just a one-hour-a-week block of time where you gather with people, but are you really delving into relationship? And I think for many of us, uh, as I said at the outset, this can feel like an optional sort of thing, fellowship and breaking of bread, because like, hey, how spiritual is coming and, and spending time in the scriptures, and how spiritual is going to the Lord in prayer, and then these other things that are in the middle, do we really need them? And I would just encourage you to say that, that it would be to our detriment, and we'd be only getting half of what God means for us to experience if we only did the super spiritual things of, in terms of how we see them and we missed out on these opportunities. The last thing I'd share with you out of this is that we need to renew our vision of genuine connections. So reboot our, or excuse me, recover our roots, reboot our gatherings, and then renew our vision for genuine connections. And here's what I mean by that. Our culture is quickly moving towards fabricated connections with people. And social media has a lot of good things to it, um, but we're regularly encountering places where it is more a fake world or a fabricated world than it is a face-to-face opportunity, a genuine relationship. And so we have an opportunity to grow in deeper relationship and by looking at this historical piece of how the early church lived life together. So eating together was a huge deal for them in their culture because it was slow and there was a deep connection that happened. So it wasn't like, hey, let's go by Culver's tonight and just eat as we go and move on to the, the next thing. Not that there's anything wrong with Culver's. It took a while for them and it was an event for them. And those that were hosting meals took it very seriously and it was a great responsibility for them because they would create truly an environment where they brought people in. And, and went deep with them in relationship. And so feet were washed as they came in. They provided a way for somebody to be welcomed and to come in and feel warm and a sense of, of welcome. And their greetings as they greeted each other were very intentional and very sincere. And then I got to experience this in India, and it was confounding for me a little bit. And I see that in the early church as well, is that when you come into somebody's house, they say, hey, come, sit right here. This is where you get the place of honor. This is where we want you to be. Come and be a part of that. And so they took that connection and that time slow, and they wanted to love each other well. We know that Jesus was an amazing and master connector, was he not? And the scriptures aren't short on giving us descriptions of how he did that, of how he went about that. And we see that so many times it was over food and drink that Jesus did that. And so I want to share with you a recommend a book resource. We'll have it on the screen here, A Meal with Jesus by Tim Chester. It's a short little book, and I think that's probably why I like it. Um, but he goes through and really builds a theology of food and drink. And who can't get behind that kind of thinking, right? Um, but he says of Jesus and Christ said about himself three things, and I want you to see them here on the screen. The first is that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So it sounds like something Jesus would do, right? The next thing we see is that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost in Luke 19. Also something that sounds very Jesus-like. And then the third thing that we see, and he really draws out in this book, is the Son of Man came eating and drinking. 
And so that, oh, okay, the first two sounded a whole lot like Jesus, and now I'm kind of warming up to the idea of Jesus taking everyday life sort of things and making them personal. And I think we have to stop separating the human aspects of Christ and the way that he delved into people's lives and the way he used tools that are of everyday nature. And the same way with the early church, that they were living things out and they were honoring the Lord and not necessarily through what felt like super spiritual things, but through the mundane and the everyday things. And I just wonder, as they're figuring things out and they're pondering what Jesus had done and what he had shown them and said, that they would go back and remember the time in Cana when Jesus was at the wedding. And he was a person that was invested in relationship, and he went to those sort of things. And when they ran out of wine, Jesus brought the better wine. And Jeff Vanderstel is a pastor in Seattle. He's always said that, that Jesus brings the best. And that's something that we ought to remember, that as we celebrate as believers, we ought to be the best celebrators that there are and the best connectors with people that there are. And so don't get hung up on the wine thing. Get hung up on the connection thing in terms of what Christ has done. One commentator says that table fellowship in the ancient world meant mutual acceptance as well. And so relationship and meals were Jesus' mode of ministry and was a way of him including people. And he really messed with religious people at that time. And I love that about him, that all the lines relationally that religious people were drawing, he was going around and proving and erasing that there's a better way. And as one pastor has said that I think oftentimes it's really helpful for us to consider this, that he describes that we either feel like we have to condemn people that aren't like us. And so, hey, you're not like me. You look different. You act different. You have different beliefs. You have a different lifestyle than I that I would choose. So keep that over there and I'll have my my Christ following ways over here. So a lot of times we think we have to condemn and and keep that away as though we're going to get stained by that. And then the other thing that he says is that we would condone that. We feel like we either have to condemn or condone. And so if I'm not going to condemn, then I've got to bring everything that they are into who I am. And I think what that's done is created like a huge gap in between these two things. And Jesus created a third category, and I love this. He just had a meal with people. He he made a great connection with them and shared food together. And so... There's a young man in our church that has uh, been taking this to heart. And a few weeks ago, or a few months ago, he was sharing with me. He said, hey, I have all these relationships at work, but I don't know what to do with them. I don't know how to share Christ's love on a deeper level. So we talked about this sharing a meal idea, and he went for it. And I've just been getting, like, every other week texts from him, hey, I had another lunch with so-and-so from my work. And his only thing that he did was just to step forward and say, hey, would you come uh, have lunch with me today? And as he describes a lot of the conversations that he's gotten into, it's just an amazing thing. Like, we couldn't orchestrate that if we tried, um, because oftentimes I think we try to calculate, okay, this is the thing I'm going to say, and then I'll say this, and how would I relate to them in this way? And he just went for it and just stepped forward and invited people in. This week, a few of us had a chance to go to a conference, and one of the speakers there is a civil rights lawyer, and he shared just some incredible stories of people that have experienced just unfathomable atrocities, and that he's had an opportunity in what he does in his expertise to come alongside them and represent them and see justice brought. 
on their behalf. And it's a really amazing thing. But what he said just really struck me, just personally as a follower of Jesus. He said, so many times and for a long time, I would keep my distance and keep the relationships professional. Because I didn't know how to get close. I didn't know if I should get close. I didn't know if I wanted to know more about the things that were in their lives. And he said, I realized after a few years that I would never have the right things to say if I stood back and tried to calculate what that were to look like. But he said it was in the moments that I got close and that there was, that I was proximate with them that the door opened and that people, and that their lives were changed and he was able to even go deeper with them and ultimately understand their story better and understand how to bring justice into their life. And I think that's true for us. And we see that in the early church. We see that in the life of Jesus, that it's when we invite people in. It's when we understand that fellowship matters from believer to believer and from believer to those that are far from God. And when we choose to get close is when God uses us. And I'm encouraged to think that he'll do that in each one of us this week as we go out. And so as, at the outset, I shared with you that I want you to know and that I believe God wants you to know that you have more to offer than you ever thought possible and that you would feel an empowerment, that you don't have to have another set of tools that God is ready to use you and wants to use you. So let me just issue you a simple challenge. And this isn't meant to create nervousness in you, but it would be meant to to create an, a coffee or a meal on your schedule this week. And so who in your life would you say is someone that you've either felt like is far from God or someone that you have sensed you should try to connect with that you could reach out to this week for coffee or a meal? And just make that invite. And you don't have to try to build your case of the things that you would talk about or try to foolproof what the conversation could look like, but just get close with that person this week. I would encourage you to do that. And we see that in the lives of the early church and want to respond to that in what the Lord has done for us. And so let's just bow our heads and we'll just have a couple minutes of quiet here. And I would just ask you to, to turn to the Lord and say, Father, what is it that you're saying to me? Would you speak to me? And what person is, is it in my life that you'd desire for me to reach out to? And so we're going to take the Lord's Supper here in just a moment. And so for those that are serving uh, and helping to serve with that, I invite you to go to your space now. Uh, but let's just sit quiet for a minute or two um, and just receive from God and what he wants to say to your heart today. Father, thank you for the example that you've given us and for the life of your dear son and we're grateful to follow him as our lord and as our savior and that we can learn from his humanness um, and from his divineness as well and it's just an awesome thing to consider being able to follow the pathway and pattern that he set before us and that we build on the shoulders of those that went before us in the church as well and so use us god in the ways that you see fit this week and we're grateful for this time we pray that you would seal it in our hearts in Jesus' name, amen.